Welcome to the Head to the Bar podcast. What you're about to hear is provided for general information purposes and support only, and it's not legal education, and it's certainly not legal advice. You should independently check the details that we're just about to discuss. Welcome to our second last discussion of the the substantive law before we start looking at past papers. We were midway through Order 29, and that was the point where we left our last discussion. So in today's discussion, I'll pick up at Rule 29.05.1. We're still looking at discovery and inspection of documents. Now, looking at the Supreme Court General Civil Procedure Rules uh, 29.05, you'll remember that we were at the point where there could have been an order limiting discovery and 29.05.1 permitted the court to order any party to give discovery in accordance with Rule 29.01.1. allowed a party to seek an order for expanded discovery. So at any stage of the proceeding, a court could, by order, expand a party's obligation to give discovery beyond that required by Rule 29.01.1. So an order, as indicated by Rule 29.05.22, such an order could specify any document or class of document to which the expanded obligation relates. Now, moving on to 29.06, this situation covers uh, co-defendants and third party. So it either involves a situation where there's been more than one defendant joined or added or a third party notice and the third party procedure has been used in the circumstances of the case. So a defendant who has pleaded, um, so we're at the point where there has been a statement of claim and um, a defence, possibly a defence and counterclaim, possibly third party notice. And once the defendant has pleaded, then they're entitled to obtain from the party making discovery a copy of any affidavit of documents served on the plaintiff by any other defendant to the proceeding or any other defendant by the plaintiff. So 29.061 extends uh, discovery beyond those who have issued notices upon one another to some mutuality in relation to other parties. And this is extended to counterclaim where the counterclaim has joined another person with the plaintiff as defendant to the counterclaim under 29.062. 29.063 allows a third party who has pleaded to be entitled to obtain from the party making discovery a copy of any affidavit served by the plaintiff on the defendant by whom the third party was joined or on the plaintiff by that defendant. So the trigger for this mutuality in discovery is pleading. Uh, It can't take place before pleading's taken place, exactly as you would expect, because the party needs to state their case before discovery takes place. But once that pleading has been filed and served, then discovery becomes um, one of mutual obligation and disclosure. Under 29.07, where there's been the situation where pleadings haven't closed, the court can still order that any of those parties make discovery of documents to any other of those parties. So such an application might, for instance, be made under the the, um, overarching purpose of the Civil Procedure Act, where it might be that the consequence of discovery would be, for uh, for instance, and I'm just using this as an example, that a party may be removed from the proceeding once dis- discovery has taken place and another of the parties is satisfied 
that there's no proper cause of action against that party. So it's open to the court to order discovery before the close of pleadings, even though the tenor of the rules is that uh, pleadings close before discovery commences. 29.08 permits an order for particular discovery and the test is where it appears to the court from evidence or the nature or circumstances of the case or documents filed that there are grounds for a belief that some document or class of document relating to any question in the proceeding may be or may have been in possession of a party. So in such a case, the court can order that party to make and serve on any other party a document, sorry, an affidavit stating whether that document or any, and if so, what document or documents of that class is or has been in the party's possession. And if it has been but is no longer in that party's possession, when the party parted with it and that party's belief as to what has become of it. And that order can be made even where the party has already made or been required to make an affidavit of documents. So query where that may overlap with other uh, provisions that we've sought, uh, that we've discussed, including discovery, uh, document retention policies. Next, 29.09 allows for inspection of documents referred to in affidavits of documents. So let's assume that there have been affidavits of documents served next to party upon whom an affidavit of documents is served, either in accordance with Rule 29.03, which is the natural course, or in accordance with an order made under the previous two provisions that I've just looked at, and a party to whom an affidavit of documents is supplied, then as a result may by notice to produce served on the party making the affidavit require that the party produce the documents in that party's possession referred to in the affidavit, unless there's been an objection, for instance, on the basis of privilege. So the sequence here is that there's been the notice of discovery, affidavit of documents, and then next there is the notice to produce. And 29.092 requires the party upon whom the notice to produce is served to within seven days after the notice serve on the party requiring a production, a notice appointing a time within seven days after service of the notice, when and a place where the documents may be inspected. And under 29.093, the notice to produce must be informed 29C. Now let's assume there are the documents produced for inspection, copies may be taken of those documents under 29.094, and that includes photocopying the document and you can have a look at the balance of 29.095 and cost implications of taking copies are provided by 29.096. Now we move on to 29.10, which relates to inspection of documents referred to in pleadings, interrogatories or answers. Now, the, the Order 30, which relates to interrogatories, is not in your reading guide. So let's focus on documents referred to, for instance, in pleadings. So in 29.102, if the originating process filed by a party, let's say a writ or in any pleading, such as a statement of claim or it could be a defence, or any affidavit or notice filed by a party, in any of those documents, is if reference is made to a document then any other party by notice to produce served on that party may require that party to produce the document for inspection. And then the consequences follow 29.10 once that a requirement has been met. 
There are exemptions under 29.10 sub rule 4, such as um, where the notice to produce has been served, but the recipient claims the document is privileged um, and has set out an affidavit to that end, where the document's not in that party's possession and an affidavit to that end has been served. They provide the exemptions and aside from that, there must be compliance. If the notice to produce is to be drafted under 29.102, it also needs to be informed 29C. Under 29.11, if there's been a failure to make discovery or if there's been discovery but the party fails to serve a notice appointing a time for inspection or there's been an offer, to, uh, sorry, there's been an objection to produce any document or offers inspection unreasonable as to time or place or objects to allow any document to be photocopied or fails to supply a photocopy of the document, then under 29.11 the Supreme Court can order the party to do such an act as the case requires. Under 29.12, if there's entitlement under the Order 29, that is to inspect a document that includes other forms of documents such as videotape, audiotape, disc film or other means of recording, the court can give directions for screening or playing of that uh, recording or for the making by or supply to the party of a transcript of the recording. In particular, and more commonly, 29.121b, if part of the document consists of information which has been processed by or is stored in a computer, then the court can give directions for making that information available and also orders for costs and expenses of the party against whom the order giving directions is sought and security for costs and expenses. 29.12.1 indicates the default notice procedure. So you can have a look at the balance of the provision. If a party is required to make discovery and they fail to do so, then the party entitled to this discovery serves on the party and notice in Form 29D. And then if the recipient is still in default after seven days, then the court can order that the part, if the party required to make discovery is the plaintiff, the proceedings be dismissed and if the party required to make discovery is a defendant, the defendant's defence be struck out. And that applies to counterclaims and claims by third party notice and so forth. So that consequences for failure to comply with discovery can be dire and, of course, cross-reference back to the Civil Procedure Act. 29.13 relates to the claim of privilege and the consequences thereof. So all the way back to the affidavit of documents and the traces that follow with respect to privileged documents, a court is entitled to inspect the document for the purpose of deciding the validity of the claim or objection where there's been an application for an order under 29.11. So the court can adjudicate that claim. And default on discovery, if a party does not, within the time limited, comply with orders under 29.08 or 29.11, then an order under 29.12 giving directions can be liable to committal and cross-reference ethical consequences. 29.15 confirms that a party who's made an affidavit of documents is under a continuing obligation to make discovery of documents. So here, cross-reference not only the Civil Procedure Act, but your ethical obligations as well.
29.16, and here we're um, coming to the end of the long list, if the court gives directions about discovery or inspections, then for the moment, no party can without further order serve notice for discovery on any other party except in accordance with those directions. Now, as mentioned, Order 30 interrogatories is not examinable. So our next examinable order is Order 32, preliminary discovery and discovery from non-party. So this is one of the processes available to facilitate that overarching purpose of ensuring that civil proceedings um, are just and time effective and cost effective. So this relates to the situation where a plaintiff is endeavouring to discern whether they might have a claim against a particular defendant. So Order 32 starts with definitions under 32.01. Moving to 32.03, noting that 32.02 preserves privilege. So 32.03 allows a court to make an order and the operative provision is under paragraph 2 where, here are the preconditions, an applicant having made reasonable uh, inquiries is unable to ascertain the description of a person sufficiently for the purpose of commencing a proceeding in the court against that provision. And it appears that some person has or is likely to have knowledge of facts or has or is likely to have or has had or is likely to have had in that person's possession any document or thing tending to assist in such ascertainment. And under 32.032, so they're the preconditions, the court may order that the person in the case of corporation, the corporation by an appropriate officer, shall attend before the court to be orally examined in relation to the description of the person concerned, shall make discovery to the applicant of all documents which are or have been in his, her or its possession relating to the description of the person concerned, And under 32.033, if such an order has been made under 32.032A, it can order that the person or corporation against whom or which the order is made produce to the court on examination any document or thing in his, her or its possession relating to the description of the person concerned. Now, this is a significant provision because, as you may have noted from 29, that is Order 29, ordinarily the only persons who are, including corporations, who are affected by discovery obligations, which are onerous, are the other parties to the proceeding. It is then the case that a person who's not a party to the proceeding would need to be the recipient of a subpoena in order for there to be any compulsion of the court. Now, this is one of the exceptions, Rule 32.03. And the linchpin of 32.03 is that discovery to identify a defendant. Next, 32.04, that adapts 32.03 with any necessary modification to apply where the applicant wishes to make a claim in which the applicant could properly have made in the proceeding had a person been a party. So consider the implications of 32.04 as well as 32.03. Next is 32.05, discovery from prospective defendant. So here we're talking about an alternative as well as in addition to 32.03. So we assume by the point of 32.03 that, 
and see the language of A, there's reasonable cause to believe that the applicant has or may have the right to obtain relief in the court from a person whose description the applicant has ascertained. So this might be a situation where the applicant has used 32.03, then moved to 32.05, or it may be that the applicant already knows in principle who that person is. But then the precondition is 32.05b. After making all reasonable inquiries, the applicant doesn't have sufficient information to enable the applicant to decide whether to commence a proceeding in the court to obtain relief. And there's reasonable cause to believe that that person has or is likely to have or has had or is likely to have had it in their possession any document relating to the question whether the applicant has the right to obtain relief and that inspection of the document by the applicant would assist the applicant to make the decision, the court can order that the person make discovery to the applicant of any document of the kind described. So 32.05, just as with 32.03, extends those onerous discovery obligations to a prospective party. And once again, usually discovery follows um, pleadings which in turn follow the identification of the parties and so forth, as we've discussed. But 32.05 extends those discovery, onerous discovery obligations to a prospective defendant on the order of the court. And that rule applies where the applicant is a party to the proceeding and there's reasonable cause to believe the applicant has or may have the right to obtain against a person who's not a party relief which the applicant could properly have claimed in the proceeding had the person been a party. So this is the situation where there is an existing P versus D and an application may be made under 32.05 as to P versus prospective D2. 32.07 extends discovery obligations to a non-party uh, following application and a court order that the person who's not a party and in respect of whom it appears the person has or is likely to have or has had or is likely to have had in that person's possession any document which relates to any question in the proceeding to make discovery to the applicant of any such document. And without limiting the operation of that provision, that would cover the situation where a party indicates that they no longer have possession of a particular document. It might be beyond their control in a particular storage unit. And so an application can be made and an order sought under 32.07 that the proprietor of the storage unit make discovery. And once again, we see that extension of onerous discovery obligations to uh, others and new and 32.08 outlines that procedure, which will be contained in the notes. Next, 32.09, inspection. So essentially, just as the discovery obligations in Order 29 led to the procedural remedy of inspection, 32.09 extends inspection to documents referred to in any affidavit of documents made and served in accordance with Order 32 and directions can be made under 32.10. So 29.12 is extended to order 32. Please see 32.11 for cost implications of that order. The next examinable order is order 36. And here we move to amendment. And you'll see that 36.01 
permits a court to order at any stage that any document in the proceeding be amended or that a party have leave to amend any document in the proceeding for these three alternative scenarios. That is 36.011A for the purpose of determining the real question in controversy between the parties to any proceeding or correcting any defect or error in the proceeding or avoiding multiplicity of proceeding. And under 36.012, document may include originating process and endorsement of a claim on originating process and any pleading. And that could extend 36.013 to add or substitute a cause of action which has arisen after the commencement of proceedings and see the balance of the rule for other orders um, that can be corrected and made. So correcting mistakes of names and so forth. 36.02. So if leave has been given to a party to amend a document, that leave ceases to have effect if the party hasn't amended the document in accordance with the order at the expiration of either if the order specifies a time limit, then that's that, or if there's no time limit specified 21 days from the date of the order. Please note under 36.03, the prothonotary or the court can give leave to amend a writ or other originating process prior to service on the defendant or other party, and the party seeking to amend files an affidavit stating that service has not occurred and all sealed copies of the writ or other originating process and other documents are returned to the court. So that is a relatively straightforward process and the other processes may need to be invoked if service has already taken place. 36.04 allows an amendment to any pleading already served once before the close of pleadings or at any time by leave of the court or with the consent of all other parties. And if there has been such an amendment, the court can on application by any other party made within 21 days after service of the amended pleading, disallow the amendment or allow it either wholly or in part. 36.05 explains how pleading and amendment works. So if a party needs to amend their proceeding, they amend the copy of the pleading filed in the court or filed a copy of the amended pleading, and then they serve the amended pleading on all parties. And it needs to telegraph by endorsement a statement to the effect that the amended copy has been substituted. So each amended pleading uh, needs to be in such a way as to distinguish the amendment from the original pleading and from any previous amendment to the original so that you can contemplate, depending on how many amendments are needed, to start with a statement of claim and then move on to an amended statement of claim and then a further amended statement of claim. Let's assume that there has been an amended pleading. 36.06 allows a party, requires a party, to plead to an amended pleading within 30 days of service. And the court can at any time correct a clerical mistake in a judgment or an order or an error arising in a judgment or an order from an accidental slip or omission. So 36.07 allows a court to correct its own orders and judgments via a slip rule. 
if it's a simple slip, then it won't offend the uh, principle of functus officio. And so the court's jurisdiction remains uh, in place to correct those little slips. So we move on to order 37 and um, we'll do three other orders today and then we're in the home stretch. Order 37 relates to inspection, detention and preservation of property. So under 37.01, um, an order that the court may make in any proceeding is for the inspection, detention, custody or preservation of any property, whether or not in the possession, custody or power of a party. So the next question is, well, how is this different from discovery orders and, and inspection orders and so forth? Well, 37 relates to property rather than documents. So you might think in relation to definition of documents that that would cover self-evidently documents and recordings and so forth. But it could be that property is broader than that and it may relate to, for instance, items from which samples can be taken that aren't documents. So on application, the court can make an order for inspection, detention, custody or preservation of property as mentioned, authorising any person to enter land or do anything for the purpose of obtaining access to the property, take samples, make observations, including photographs of the property, conduct any experiment on or with the property and observe any process. Costs and expenses are covered by 37.013. 37.02 extends inspection to from a prospective defendant. So cross-reference this back to discovery from a prospective defendant. And here, of course, we're looking at property not being a document. So if the plaintiff is considering their options in relation to a particular prospective defendant, then they would follow their discovery opportunities. And now uh, cross-reference inspection of property not being a document. The preconditions are 37.023. There needs to be reasonable cause to believe that the applicant has or may have the right to obtain relief in the court, needs to be an identified person. And after making all reasonable inquiries, the applicant has not sufficient information to enable the applicant to decide whether to commence a proceeding in the court to obtain relief. And there's reasonable cause to believe the person has or is likely to have in that person's possession, custody or power, any property relating to that question. So the court can make an order for inspection, detention, custody or preservation or some combination of the property. And cost implications are considered by 37.025. 37.03 explains procedure for such an application and you can read the rule or and or it'll be included in the notes. And 37.04, if proceedings relate to property other than land in a proceeding in which any question may arise as to any property other than land and the property is of a perishable nature or is likely to deteriorate or diminish in value if kept, then the court may make an order for the sale or other disposal of the whole or any part of the property. And 37.05 relates to payment into court in discharge of a lien. See also 37.06. Now, the next order is one that is commonly assessed. Usually there is at least one interlocutory order assessed in the civil component of your exam. And the one that has been included in your uh, reading guide is freezing orders. And here I will cross-reference with the fact that the Supreme Court has a practice note in relation to 
how freezing orders work, which I'll link to in the notes. Now, 37A.02, this permits the court to make an order known as a freezing order, upon or without notice to the respondent, so it could be inter-parties, it could be ex-parte, for the purpose of preventing the frustration or inhibition of the court's process by seeking to meet a danger that a judgment or prospective judgment of the court will be wholly or partly unsatisfied. So there's quite a lot in that provision under 37A.021. It could be inter-parties, it could be ex-parte. It needs to be for the purpose of preventing the frustration or inhibition of the court's process by seeking to meet a danger that a judgment or prospective judgment of the court will be wholly or partly unsatisfied. So there's the danger. 37A.022 is the order itself. It restrains the respondent from removing any assets located in or outside Australia from disposing of, dealing with or diminishing the value of those assets. The order may be in form 37AA and the court must have regard to the practice note concerning freezing orders in making such a freezing order. So in the briefest of overview, we will come to the practice note in due course. And it's actually a really good reminder of what happens in ex parte applications. Now, 37A.025, as it's an application, it's issued by summons and if there's going to be notice uh, to the respondent and it requires affidavits to be filed in support, which need to address the following, 37A.025, information about the judgment that has been obtained. So point one is a freezing order may be made after judgment or if it is pending the initiation or continuation of proceedings, so that is no judgment has been obtained, the affidavit must address A, 1, 2 and 3, the basis of the claim for substantive relief, the amount of the claim, and if it's ex parte, the applicant's knowledge of any possible uh, defence. B, the nature and value of the respondent's assets so far as they are known to the applicant inside and outside Australia. Next is the matters referred to in 37A.05, which we'll get to in a moment, and D, the identity of any person other than the respondent who the applicant believes may be affected by the freezing order and how that person may be affected by it. And 37A.03 allows the court to make ancillary orders such as eliciting information relating to the assets relevant to the freezing order or prospective freezing order and so forth. 37A.04, the court can make a freezing order or an ancillary order even if the application is made ex parte and the respondent is not a party to the proceeding as well as if the respondent is a party to the proceeding. 37A.05 relates to either a judgment debtor, so that is judgment has been given in favour of an applicant by the court or another court, or a prospective judgment debtor, So that is the applicant has a good arguable case on an accrued or prospective cause of action that's justiciable in the Supreme Court or another court. And it could apply under 37A.05 to a judgment if there's a sufficient prospect the judgment will be registered in or enforced by the court. Next is the court may make a freezing order or ancillary order against a judgment debtor or prospective judgment debtor 
uh, if the court's satisfied having regard to all the circumstances that there's a danger that the judgment or prospective judgment will be wholly or partly unsatisfied because any of the following might occur. So that is the judgment debtor, prospective judgment debtor, or a third party might abscond or the assets of the judgment debtor, prospective judgment debtor, or another person are removed from Australia or from a place inside or outside Australia or disposed of, diminished or dealt with in value. By that stage, we've introduced the third party, uh, and that could be a person who has shared access or sole access to property owned or controlled by the um, respondent as well. Sub rule five provides further information about a third party. So the court may make a freezing order or an ancillary order or both against a person other than a judgment debtor or prospective judgment debtor, that is a third party, if the court's satisfied having regard to all the circumstances, that there's a danger that a judgment or prospective judgment of the court will be wholly or partly unsatisfied because the third party holds or uses or has exercised or is exercising a power of disposition over assets of the judgment debtor or prospective judgment debtor or the third party is in possession of or is in a position of control or influence concerning assets of the judgment debtor or prospective judgment debtor. So 37.05 extends the ambit of these available orders to judgment debtors, prospective judgment debtors as defined, or third parties. So note the nexus between each of those to the, uh, uh, the rule 37A.05. Now, I um, indicated I would refer to the practice note on freezing orders. I'll just refer to the last of these provisions. 37A.07 relates to service if the order is made into parties. 37A.08 relates to costs. And 37A.09 indicates that the jurisdiction is exercised by a judge of the court. So it's not a situation where, for instance, an associate judge or a registrar may determine that decision. So as far as um, freezing orders are concerned, we then cross-reference to the practice note and you'll see that it's quite a fulsome document and it integrates Order 37A back to the law and procedure of uh, these Mareva injunctions. And the purpose of the order is to harmonise court rules and orders in applications across the Supreme Courts of all states and territories and the federal court. So if you're moving into practice in this area, moving through this freezing order practice note is time well spent because um, each of the jurisdictions in Australia are substantially in harmony in relation to procedure. So in the Supreme Court, as you would note, I'm just going to pick out some salient features and then leave the balance of the practice note for your attention. The form of the order is in 37AA, adapted to the circumstances of the particular case. 4.2 is a really important note, so it picks up some of the old common law. The purpose of the order is to prevent frustration or abuse of the process of the court, not to provide security in respect of a judgment or order. 4.3, it's an extraordinary interim remedy. It's not to be applied in every case because it can restrict the right to deal with assets even before judgment 
and it's commonly granted without notice. And immediately moving on to 4.4, not only is it extraordinary, not only does it have these the effect of this substantial restriction on proprietary, ordinary proprietary rights, but it may also extend to third parties. 4.6, note that the ambit of the assets, it could be in Australia, it could be in a defined part of Australia, but it could extend to assets anywhere in the world. And ordinarily, 4.10, as I've mentioned, I'm not going to refer you to every single um, provision, but um, I'll leave that to you. But ordinarily, if an order is made, it should exclude dealings by the respondent with assets for legitimate purposes payment of ordinary living expenses, payment of reasonable legal expenses, business expenses and contractual obligations. So even if an order is made, there need to be certain customary expenses that are carved out of the ambit of the order. The next examinable order is Order 38. So as mentioned, you've been told that search orders are excluded from the reading guide. Order 38 relates to injunctions. And this is another of those ancillary orders that can be made in civil proceedings that is examined from time to time. So 38.01, the court can make an injunction at any stage of the proceeding. It could even be prior to the commencement of a proceeding under Rule 4.08 in an urgent case. 38.02, in such an urgent case, the court can grant an injunction without notice, so ex parte. And under 38.022, if the plaintiff is applying for an injunction against a defendant under this provision, service of the notice of application may be made at the time of service of originating process in the proceeding. And that's where it's done inter parties. 38.03 relates to costs and expenses, including 38.032, the court can grant an injunction on condition that the applicant gives security for the costs and expenses of any person who might be affected. And the last examinable order that we'll have a look at in today's chat is Order 40, and it relates to evidence generally. Uh, so this supplements our long discussion in relation to the principles of evidence far earlier um, in our chats. This order relates to a proceeding commenced by writ, including an assessment of damages. So you might think that it would be the typical case that's examined in the bar exam, um, as you know that civil proceedings are going to be examined. So except as otherwise provided by an act or the rules or subject and subject to any agreement between the parties. Evidence is typically given on an interlocutory or other application by affidavit on the trial of a proceeding commenced by writ orally and at the trial of a proceeding commenced by originating motion back to affidavit. But 48.03, the court may order evidence be given orally on the hearing of an interlocutory application or by affidavit at the trial of a proceeding commenced by writ. And if an order is made that evidence be given orally on an interlocutory or other application, the court can make an order as to the order of evidence. 40.04, if an affidavit is filed, the court may order the deponent be examined before the court and may order the deponent attend for the purpose of that examination. 40.05, 
a court may order the evidence of any particular fact shall be given at the trial or at any other stage of the proceeding in such a manner as it directs. So it could be, for instance, by statement on oath of information and belief, by production of documents or entries in books, or by production of copies of documents or entries in books. So when we're moving quite a long way away from, for instance, proceedings that would take place in a criminal matter, and it gives the court that real flexibility. And of course, 40.06, the court can vary or revoke such an order. 40.07, depositions are inadmissible as evidence at trial. Now, depositions are not examinable. They are um, governed by Order 41, which falls outside your reading guide. So please note this provision carefully while also noting that depositions are not admissible. 40.08 allows for proof of court documents. 40.10 relates to the specific situation of defamation. So you can have a look at that provision, but it relates to a defendant who has not alleged truth in a defamation trial. And 40.11, so if evidence has been taken at trial, the court can order that that evidence may be used at any subsequent stage of the proceeding. 40.12, as you would expect, a court may in any proceeding make an order for attendance of any person for the purpose of being examined or attendance and production by a person of documents or things specified or described or simply the production of a corporation of document or thing. And 40.13, a court is allowed to inspect or in a jury trial can authorise the jury to perform a view, which is to inspect any place, process or thing. So that concludes our discussion today. In our last discussion, we're going to continue with and conclude the examinable provisions between Order 42, which relate to subpoenas through affidavits, expert evidence, place and mode of trial and trial itself, and finish with the last of our ancillary orders, security for costs under Order 62, which can be dealt with on an interlocutory basis as well. Thank you for listening to the Head to the Bar podcast. For outlines, links to resources and other downloads, please refer to the show notes.